We are in Exodus chapters 12 and uh, 13 this morning. How many of you watched the solar eclipse on Monday morning? Got a coffee break and went out? Yeah, some of you did. Oh, a lot of you didn't. I'm sorry. How many of you use those special viewing glasses to uh, look at the eclipse? None of you look directly into the sun, right? How many of you made your own device, like you, you made something so that you could look at the sun? Yeah, I did too. Here it is. My own cereal box. I saw the eclipse right here at the bottom of the box. It was in there. Amazing. I've never been so excited. It was like elementary school again. Solar eclipse. That was, um, for many, a day to remember, except especially for children that had never seen an eclipse before. It's an amazing thing. You can imagine what it would have been like to be uh, in the States, you know, that pathway of complete uh, coverage where it turned dark, you know, mid-morning. Amazing. Imagine the people of Israel leaving Egypt. That was a day to remember. That The scriptures describe that night as a night of watching. Exodus chapter 12. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. What was happening in the sky that night? Well, it was the spring equinox. It was a full moon night. It was the 14th day of Nisan. God was keeping his word. That that phrase, night of watching, it can be translated a night of keepings. God was keeping his word, fulfilling his promises to protect, to enrich, and to deliver the people of Israel. Before we go into the meaning of the Passover, let's just pull our eyes out of our cereal boxes and, as it were, take a panoramic vision. As we read the Scriptures, we see that God is on a mission to reach all peoples. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, human beings are enslaved to sin. They live separated from God. God chooses a man, Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. God chooses a man, and through his line of descendants, God desires to bless all peoples on earth. When we open the book of Exodus, we find the people of Israel enslaved. The people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, have been in Egypt for 430 years. They have probably been enslaved for at least 80 to 100 years. So this generation only knows slavery. God acts 
powerfully on their behalf. These people, they could never have saved themselves, but God acts on their behalf. Through 10 plagues, God reveals that he is the all-powerful one, that he's the only God of the universe, and that he is present to save them. This revelation is for the people of Israel. It's for the Egyptians. It is for all peoples. It is a revelation that God is Yahweh, the one who is mighty to save. God frees Israel from Egyptian captivity, slavery in Egypt. As they now walk out, God is birthing a nation. He's forming a people, and they are to reveal his glory. They are to be a kingdom of priests. Through them, God desires to bless all peoples on earth. Now, the Israelites, as I said earlier, they only know slavery. Their way of thinking, their identity, it has been shaped by the greatest political, military, economic power of that day, Egypt. They only know slavery. They don't know what it looks like to walk free. As we read the scriptures today, we'll see that God sets a pattern for them, which is to be a pattern for us as well. The main point of the message is that we walk in freedom by remembering the God who saved us, who set us apart, and who shepherds us. The God who saved, the God who set us apart, the God who shepherds us. Verse 42, in verse 42, we read that the people were walking out of Egypt to serve God, Yahweh. The Passover night was to be for them a night of watching, a night of keeping. As we read chapters 12 and 13, we notice three times that God says, hey, as you celebrate, your children will ask, what does this mean? So imagine the people of Israel celebrating the Passover, and the the elder of the household is there, and he has separated the lamb. It's Passover night, and as the children participate, they're asking questions. Why the roasted lamb? Why the whole, whole household together on this night in the home? And the elder of the household would explain, children, we were enslaved in Egypt, and we could never have saved ourselves. But God, God came to our rescue. He worked 10 plagues, and before the 10th plague, he warned us. He spoke to us. He called us to act in faith. He asked us to separate a lamb on the 10th of Nisan, a perfect lamb, a male, a year old. We were to separate that lamb, and then on the 14th of Nisan, we sacrificed that lamb. The Lord asked that we pour the blood into a basin and we put a bunch of hyssop into that basin and we spread the blood on the upper beam and on the doorposts out of obedience. The Lord asked us to remain in the home, to not leave until morning. We roasted that lamb without breaking a bone, us together as one family, one lamb, celebrating the fact that we were now set apart to God, bonded with him, and we were to be bonded with each other. 
We were dressed and ready. We had our belts fastened. We had our sandals on, walking sticks in hand. We were ready for God to act. And when God passed over, when he passed over our home and he saw the blood on the doorframe, he passed over and no fatal blow befell our home. Our firstborn lived. And the firstborn of the Egyptians and all that did not have the blood on the doorframe died. Children, we walk in freedom by remembering the God who saved us by the blood of the Lamb. We walk in freedom by remembering the God who saved us by the blood of the Lamb. Isn't it fascinating how the Lord acts in history and then he provides these graphic visual reminders? And so as the people of Israel participated in the Passover, they would see, they would hear, they would smell, they would taste, they would touch. They participated fully to remember. Passover was to be this vivid reminder of God's action on their behalf. Children, we remember the Exodus so that our Exodus becomes your Exodus. And children, remember, it was actually a mixed multitude that left Egypt on that day. Those of us who were Israelites with the blood on the doorframe, we were saved. But there were others that joined us, that saw God at work. There were Cushites and Egyptians. We were an ethnically diverse group. And all that were following God, they needed to be instructed in his ways. Well, what did they need to do to participate? Look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. Exodus 12, 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. Down to verse 48. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. So foreigners... Slaves, they can actually participate in the Passover if the males are circumcised. And children at that time may have asked, certainly today would ask, well, isn't this uh, racial, ethnic, social discrimination? Why? Why does this need to happen? And the elder could respond, well, (laughs) this isn't an act of hatred. This isn't a desire to hurt This is not an act of discrimination. No, all that participate in the Passover must be circumcised. This is since Abraham. If we as Israelites want to participate, our men must be circumcised. One rule for all. In fact, our laws as Israelites, all of them are class-free. Well, what does circumcision symbolize? Well, it's an external act that reflects who we are. The men are circumcised so that we identify with God and his people. Through circumcision, we communicate that we're bonded with God, that we're bonded with one another, that we belong to the Lord. 
if the foreigners are circumcised, they become full sons and daughters of Abraham. They're a part of the family. They can partake in the Passover meal. God is just asking for a united, a bonded community of faith that lives together with faith in him. You see, we walk in freedom by remembering the God who set us apart to belong to him. We walk in freedom by remembering the God who set us apart to belong to him. And the children might ask, well, anything else, Dad? Well, when we celebrate the Passover, it's the time of spring. And in that season, in the spring, the the animals, they are calving. They are lambing. They are goat-kidding. It is the appropriate time, the right time, to dedicate the firstborn. Why? Well, look at chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And again, the inquisitive child will ask, well, what does this mean? Why consecration? The Lord says more about this in verses 11 through 16 of chapter 13. I'll summarize it for you. To consecrate... It means to take the normal, to take a person, a place, a thing, and make it holy by giving it over to God. To be holy simply means, the simplest meaning of holiness is to belong to God. The more we belong to God, the more holy we are. We show that we belong to God by consecrating the firstborn. The firstborn of our children consecrating the firstborn of the sacrificial animals. Children, where we're going, Canaan, the Canaanite peoples, they actually sacrifice their children to the gods to appease the gods that they believe in. But God is loving. He is good. And so we redeem, we buy back our firstborn children with the payment of a sacrificial lamb, a substitute offering. A lamb is sacrificed on behalf of our firstborn child because God is good. When God rescued us from Egypt, we were set apart by the strong arm of God, the mighty one, the one who is mighty to save. We lived under the strong arm of Pharaoh, under his oppression, but God freed us and now we walk under the loving, all-powerful arm of God himself. We are free. And as we enter the land of Canaan, we have no reason to fear the Canaanite gods, no reason to appease them, no reason to fear the gods of Egypt. We walk under the strong arm of Yahweh, the one who is mighty to save. We have been set apart for him. We belong to him. Hallelujah. So what does it mean for us today? 21st century. Why don't we have an altar here where we sacrifice animals? Why aren't we roasting lamb today? That would be a good idea, right? I love roasted lamb. But why aren't we sacrificing animals here week after week, month after month? Well, we celebrate the Lord's Passover the first weekend of every month. 
the Lord's Supper. We will celebrate the Lord's Supper next weekend. And parents, I would encourage you to bring your children to the worship services. First, because they need to see you as a worshiper. Secondly, they need to observe the Lord's Supper so that they can ask. And you, as a parent, you can explain to them the meaning of the Lord's Supper. You can explain to them that that first Passover, when the people of Israel were about to leave Egypt, that Passover was celebrated over and over again. And every time it was celebrated, it was pointing to a Passover that would happen in Jerusalem 2,000 years before us. But 1,300 years after that first Passover, there was a Passover in Jerusalem when Jesus was present, the ultimate Passover lamb. God sent his son, Jesus, to die on our behalf so that we might be free from sin. Jesus was sacrificed on a cross in Jerusalem so that God's holy anger towards sin, what separated us from God, would be removed and God's holy anger would be appeased and our sins would be forgiven and we would be set free. Son, daughter, there was a day when dad was broken. He was enslaved to sin and there was no way that dad was going to be able to free himself. But... God drew me to himself by his spirit. There was a day when I came to know Jesus, when I surrendered myself to Jesus. I accepted the sacrifice of the Passover lamb for me. And God forgave me. I confessed my sin and I experienced redemption. I came under the blood of Jesus and I was bought back. And I am a son of God because of God's grace. I was made alive in Christ, born again. And a day is coming when I will meet Jesus in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb and the assembly of the firstborn will be there, as Hebrews says, and we will be with Jesus forever. I can't wait for that day. And every time I celebrate the Passover, I'm overwhelmed by the grace of God. It seems like I will never fully understand why God did this for me, but I am so grateful Interesting, Billy Graham, he, uh, what's entitled his last message, he's 98. Do you know what he talks about? He talks about the cross. All of the things that he could have talked about, he talks about the cross. What God accomplished through the cross. Some theologians today, they say that uh, that whole sacrificial system was not necessary. That was, that's a pagan notion. Why would God ever send his son to die on a cross on our behalf? That was unnecessary. It's remarkable that theologians that read the scriptures would come to that conclusion. Because when you remove the sacrificial system from the scriptures, you tear out the spinal cord of the scriptures and you're left with an amoeba. You're left with nothing. You might as well go back to being a pantheist or an idol worshiper because the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf is rendered meaningless. But again, as disciples of Jesus, we come under 
the authority of God. We come under the authority of the scriptures. It is the Lord who sets the calendar. It's the Lord who knows our human condition. He knows that we are sinners. He knows that we need for, for salvation. And he is the one who, before the foundation of the world, determined that Jesus would come to die on our behalf. And so we humble ourselves every time that we participate in the Lord's Supper and we say, thank you, Jesus. Because we never could have saved ourselves. But by your grace, you sent your son to die on our behalf. And you have separated us. You have chosen us. Set us apart to belong to you. Thank you, Jesus. We belong to you. We belong to each other. And we will walk together. It's interesting that the the sacrificial lamb there in the Passover, none of its bones were broken. And when the Apostle John talks about the crucifixion of Jesus in John chapter 19, he cites this passage in Exodus and remembers that none of the bones of the sacrificial lamb were broken and none of the bones of Jesus were broken as well, symbolizing our unity in Christ. We are to be one. We are to walk together as God's people for his glory. That's our calling. And what's the sign of being sons and daughters of Abraham today? If circumcision was the sign for the Old Testament people of Israel, what is the sign for us today? Well, the sign is baptism. Baptism symbolizes so richly our death to sin and our resurrection to a new life, us being made alive in Christ It symbolizes our being set apart, belonging to God, belonging to the family of God. We identify with God and his people. Romans chapter 14, verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then... Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. The circumcision always preceded Passover in the Old Testament. Normally, baptism precedes participation in the Lord's Supper in the life of the church as well. So what should we do? Well, it's actually very, very simple. Get baptized. So if you're a follower of Jesus... Just get baptized. You don't wait to be completely holy before you get baptized. Sometimes we question, like, why baptism? Well, because the God, because God determined it to be so. It's just an act of obedience. It's an act that the Lord blesses. It's something that you do in faith as you identify with God and his people. So the command is clear, and the only thing that we need to do is obey. Get baptized. We're going to celebrate a baptism here in a couple of weeks at Fall Festival. What a wonderful moment when people identify with God and his people and share their testimony of God's grace in their lives. That first exodus becoming their exodus. Back to the book of Exodus. The Israelite child might ask, well, is there there more, Dad? Well, actually there is. We celebrate Passover, and that begins a week-long celebration called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
Exodus chapter 13, verse 3. Exodus chapter 13, verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are going out. Down to verse 7. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. So, Passover, celebrated in the month of Aviv, later called Nisan. Aviv, it means spring. Just a side note, um, in 1909, the first all-Jewish settlement in Israel, it was called Achuzat Bayit, just outside of Jaffa. So it was a time of rebirthing. Something new was happening. And in 1910, that Jewish settlement was renamed Tel Aviv what we know today to be Tel Aviv, Hill of Spring. It was a new day for them. At the time of the Passover, for the people of Israel, it was a new day. They were walking toward the promised land. They were walking toward their inheritance. What was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what was promised to their descendants, they were walking in that direction in faith, and they were to celebrate, remember, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. From the 14th of Nisan to the 21st of Nisan, no leavened bread. So you can imagine the children celebrating, participating, and, you know, early on, they get the bread and they look at it and say, "Um, where is mom's good bread? Where is that, you know, moist, big loaf, that special recipe that she got from grandma? Where is that bread? Why the flatbread? Three, four days in, just flatbread, unleavened bread, over and over. And the child goes to the elder of the household and says, "Uh, Is something wrong with mom? She's forgetting the yeast. Why unleavened bread every day? And the father would have the opportunity to explain. The Lord asked that no leaven be found in our homes. The leaven is removed so that we will remember our affliction in Egypt. It came to be known as the the bread of affliction. So that we will remember our time in slavery that we went without. We eat the unleavened bread so that we remember that our people had to leave in haste. On that night of the first Passover, we left our homes. Yeah, we had belts on, sandals on, we had our walking sticks, but we left with unleavened dough. And so we remember that we were driven out, that we left in haste. 
We remember God's grace in our lives. And these practices, children, are to be so normal for us, the people of Israel, that it's like we have marks on our hands, marks on our foreheads. We're feeding on these things, digesting them. We're speaking about them. They're coming out of our mouths because these celebrations and their meaning have become a part of our lives. We have identified fully with that first exodus and that exodus has become our exodus. Again, we walk free by remembering that God set us apart to belong to him. So what does the path of being set apart look like for us today? Here we are in the 21st century. What does it mean for us? Well, leaven in Judaism came to symbolize those evil impulses that drew people away from their walk with God, that made them forget that they actually belonged to God. Leaven came to symbolize sin. And so Paul, when he speaks to the church in Corinth, the church in Corinth, you know, brothers and sisters taking each other to court, sexual immorality, and they're actually proud of it, he writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate this festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then he continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, hey, if you are followers of Jesus, remove the leaven, walk free. You don't need to be enslaved. Christ bought you back. (laughs) He redeemed you. You were bought back. By the payment of a price, that of the Passover lamb. Don't forget, walk free. Galatians chapter 5, Paul says to the churches in Galatia, uh, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. You were running so well. Don't let the leaven trip you up. Don't let sin in your life trip you up as you run the race. You've been set free for freedom. And we might say, but here we are. We're followers of Jesus, but this is all new for us. We've never walked free. I have such a hard time just pulling it together. I feel so weak. I don't know how to walk free. I have all this baggage in my life. These difficult relationships, fears, anxieties, I don't know. Well, God has saved us by the blood of the Lamb. He has set us apart to belong to Him. And then there's one more thing that we need to know. Let's go to Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. Exodus 13, 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, 
God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. First of all, just notice the Lord's kindness. The Lord knows his people. He knows what they are ready for. He knows that they are not ready to wage war with the Philistines. The Philistines were a formidable military force at that time. And it's not in God's plan at this time. Had they gone through the land of the Philistines, had they taken that shortest route, had they followed the coastal road, what was known as the Via Maris, and had confronted the Philistines, gone to war, and lost, would they have returned to Egypt? Yes, they would have. As we read on, we see that in various moments, the people of Israel actually think about returning to Egypt. They think that slavery in Egypt would be better than walking with God in the wilderness. So instead of leading them along that shortest route, God takes them southeast toward the Red Sea. And that's God's goodness, His kindness. They're not ready. For ourselves as well, sometimes, you know, we see a destination. We know where we want to arrive. And so we are just saying, God, get us there. But God, in his mercy, does not take us there quickly. He takes us in a longer direction. And in our impatience, we're just saying, God, get us there. I am destination-oriented. I want to get to a place in life. And sometimes we need the journey along the way. Be grateful. God knows what we are ready for. Then second, notice that the people of Israel, Moses and the people of Israel, they're carrying the bones of Joseph. Why? Well, Joseph, he had exacted a deathbed promise from his brothers before his death. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, so this is about 400 years earlier, prior to the Passover, prior to the Exodus. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So the people of Israel, they're honoring Joseph's last request. The book of Hebrews says that 
Joseph made that request in faith. He believed that God would keep his word to Abraham. He believed that the people of Israel would be taken up out of Egypt. And so as the people of Israel carry those bones, it's a symbol of their walk toward freedom, their walk by faith. Thirdly, notice that there's a pillar before the people that does not leave them. During the day, under the desert sun, it appears as a pillar of cloud, a welcome presence on a hot day in the desert, a welcome, comforting presence. At night, a pillar of fire. Again, in the dark of the desert night, a welcome, comforting presence. The manifest presence of God with his people. A pillar of cloud and fire. The same presence that Moses saw at the burning bush. The same presence that confirmed God's covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, there was a dark cloud over the the mountain, covering the mountain. And when the people looked toward it, they saw a devouring fire. The same presence that was there when God confirmed his covenant with Abraham. Smoking pot, flaming torch. The same presence that confirmed the new covenant with the church in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. A rushing wind and tongues of fire. The presence of God. God going before his people. Leading his people into unknown territory. But at the same time, as they go, a comforting presence along the way. They can rest in the presence of the pillar of cloud and fire. God is with his people. And we, we, we instinctively almost impulsively say, wouldn't that be great? Oh, if I could get up in the morning and beside my bed, there was a cloud. And I would ask the question, where should I study? And there goes the cloud. It's over SFU, over Burnaby Mountain. That's where I'm going. So I study and then I ask, okay, which job should I take? There goes the cloud. Follow the cloud again. This is great. Who should I marry? Oh, there she is. And I run over. And she's over here. No, get the cloud away. You know, the Israelites would look at us and say, what is wrong with you? Why do you want to go back there? Why do you want the cloud to be out there? The pillar of fire out there. You have the pillar of cloud fire within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit living within you. Every day present to correct you, to convict you of sin, to remind you when you err, to draw you back, to remind you that you belong to God. Present to teach you, to encourage you, to console you, to edify you, to strengthen you. Why would you want to go back there? God within you. We walk in freedom by remembering the God who shepherds us by his spirit. The God who shepherds us by his spirit. 
Spirit. You know, sometimes our theology, it takes us to the cross, and, you know, we need to be at the cross and meditate on the cross and remember the cross. And so we go to the cross and we remember that Christ died for us. We remember that we're sinners and we are so grateful. And our walk in freedom must always take us back there, remind us that we were saved by the blood of the Lamb. But then we read the scriptures and we, we discover that we are to walk in holiness. So we know that we're forgiven. We know that we've received the gift of eternal life. But now, as we live daily life, we recognize that God has walked, asked us to walk in holiness, but we feel so weak. We feel that we can't do it. We feel that we're so messed up. We feel that we're being tempted in other directions every day. How will we ever walk in holiness? It's like we're looking into a cereal box. <laughs> you know, the eclipse is there at the bottom of the box, and it's about that big. God seems so far away, so distant from my reality. God is up there shining, but I won't even look. Listen to what Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. It's Paul speaking. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if the Spirit abides within us, we are to walk free. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there's the pattern. We walk in freedom by remembering every day the God who saved us by grace through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus. And we remember that we have been a set apart from God, consecrated by God, called by God to walk in holiness, to belong to Him, to walk in oneness with God and His people. And as we walk in God's presence, yes, we remember that we are sinners. We are sinners. But the Holy Spirit is present <laughs> not only to remind us, to convict us of our sin, but also to remove the leaven and to teach us to walk in a new way. To think differently, to face life differently. As we immerse ourselves in the Word, as we spend time in prayer, we are transformed, as Paul says, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so the Spirit is present within us to shepherd us each day. Jesus says, hey, my sheep, they know my voice. Jesus knows our name. He also says that if we're His, we know His voice. We hear Him. And we follow God within us. Dr. Ravi Zacharias has said the following, when the map of God is in our hearts, we walk with Him hand in hand. When the map of God is in our hearts, we walk with Him hand in hand each day. 
May God guide us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, we are grateful. Thank you, Father, for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for being obedient to death on a cross, for dying in our place, for taking our sin upon yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for choosing us, for setting us apart to belong to you now and forever. Thank you. Thank you that we can be a part of your family, that we can walk together for your glory. And Father, even as we consider your abundant grace lavished upon us, we remember that we are sinners and we repent. We ask that you remove the leaven. And so in this moment of silence, just between you and the Lord, just ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that I need to repent of today? It may be a judgmental spirit. It may be a distracted mind. It may be fear of man. It may be idols in your heart. It may be an addiction, anger, anxiety. Whatever it is, ask the Lord to reveal that to you and Repent. Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we thank you that your word instructs us that you abide with a contrite in spirit. That's your grace. Thank you. Thank you that you are present in our lives by your spirit to shepherd us this day, this week. So maybe you're facing something. Maybe it appears to be overwhelming. Whatever it is, Place that before the Lord right now and ask the Lord to shepherd you by His Spirit today throughout this week. Just place it before the Lord. So thank you, Jesus, that you know us, that you are going before us, that you are present to lead us forward this day, this week. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.